0: I came just yesterday to it all and I the
1: of life exam. Hello Time out there. Welcome bear. to another episode of Things I Learned while Learning other things. This is an attempt by me, Joe Morhan and my brother J.S to provide you with a series of interesting, informative educational and we hope enjoyable stories that will help you navigate through the high seas of life. Today we introduce the War of Jenkins' Ear, part three of what we think will be a seven or eight episode, episodic adventure. And we return now to the War of Jenkins' Ear. It was fought essentially between the year 1739 and 1742 between Spain and England. Though conflict flared up between the combatants both before and after the years 1739 and 1742, as as I will describe in a moment. (laughs) As good a place um, to begin this tale as any, it involves, why not, let's begin with the Pope. In 1493, Pope Alexander VI published a papal bull, a decree entitled Inter Satera, among other things to divide the new world between the two strongest imperial powers of the era, Catholic Spain and Portugal. Spain, via its notorious Alhambra decree, you know, oh, King Ferdinand and wife, Queen Isabella, they were such tolerant people, such tolerant sovereigns. They had already expelled all the Jews from the country, just as had the king of Portugal and Spain was already already at this time more than a decade deep into its unforgiving commitment to torturing people under the ruthless leadership of Tomás de Torquemada the Castilian Dominican friar and first grand inquisitor of the tribunal of the holy office the spanish inquisition had begun in 1478 and it would not be concluded and not officially disbanded until 1834. Are you kidding me? It took Spain and the Catholic Church 356 years to conclude we really ought not to be torturing our citizens to death simply because they do not believe fully in Catholic doctrine. Nice. Still, in the midst of making sure that all the Jews were gone from Spain and all the um, blasphemers and non-believers that had been rounded up and and had been subjected to unimaginable torture, the Spanish royal family committed itself, committed itself to sending royal ambassadors to meet with their, their papal counterparts in Rome to obtain the Pope's influential support. In dividing the new world in a manner most favorable to Spanish interests while minimizing to the greatest extent possible the Pope's support for imperial Portuguese interests. In this, in this regard, Spanish efforts were well rewarded. God only knows what was promised to the Pope. But the Pope had decided that all lands west and south of of a, of a meridian line 100 leagues west of the Azores and the Cape Verde Islands rightfully belonged to Spain. <laughs> However, the Papal Resolution did not resolve the tensions existing between the two co- colonizing nations because, because the Papal Bull had neglected to certify the territories that were residing on the other side of this line were they now portuguese possessions and the pope was infallible hmm anyway this miscue um, made for some very hard feelings and some very hard negotiations between the two competing world dominant at that moment in time powers that be spain and portugal then on their own, sort of negotiated clarification of the matters. Well, in a sense, in a fourteen ninety four uh, treaty of Tordesillas. And as time passed, the Spanish made claims in the Americas, and 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 they were rewarded with vast riches. The Portuguese they got very excited about India, Brazil. And, and weirdly somehow, Newfoundland and Labrador and Canada, from which they too were extracting riches, you know, kind of like China today in the Congo going after all that cobalt, et cetera. But by the mid mid sixteenth century, England had found a way to maneuver itself into the thick of the imperial mix and in, and in the fight for world riches, the English determined, there was nothing morally, ethically, or legally prohibited in the English state, Britain, England, authorizing and funding pirates, piratical expeditions whose primary objective, even even sole objective of the voyage um, being to plunder on the high seas Spanish ships returning to Spain laden with riches, you know, gold, silver, gems, jewels, and other riches that the Spanish conquistadors had confiscated or extracted by any means necessary. Sounds like Marx. In the New World, and and which ships were headed back um, from the Americas to unload these riches in Spain. And the Brits found it Morally acceptable to try to divert that wealth to the greatest extent possible back to England instead. Hmm. One can see the problems that will will arise on the horizon post the issuance of such an authorization by British royalty. You know, these English pirates would become personally rich in the effort, and if they were successful in their effort, and they would become also heroic, legendary figures. By doing so, in fact, about such men, England's Queen Elizabeth I she couldn't say enough good things she and she made it quite clear she had high praise for all these bandits on the high seas. Her personal favorite pirate was the dashing figure that was cut by Sir Francis Drake and and he had won everlasting glory for England. By circumnavigating the globe, you know, he was only like the third man to do so and returning with vast riches that he had won from Spanish galleons. And and I, I ought to just add that and keep in mind that Sir Francis Drake was the first man to lead a successful navigation of the globe. Magellan, well, he didn't actually return um, to Spain alive with his ship as he was killed by Indians in the Philippines. So successful navigation, circumnavigation of the globe may need to be defined more precisely, at least I think so. Sir Francis Drake had won his queen's heart and soul by plundering Spanish targets and riches all over the high seas, all over the globe. And history, however, you know, it, it does demonstrate that in Sir Francis Drake, as, as with most people, there existed a darker side to his character. I mean, C.G. Jung, a couple of centuries later, would suggest the dark side inhabited the souls of most people. You know, a Hobbesian trait, if you will. Un- unfortunately for Drake, and maybe the Queen who loved Drake, His dark side was far darker, much darker, of a much darker nature than most people's. He became personally enamored with the enormous profit potential to be found, to be garnered in the slave trade. And he became a full-fledged saver. And he had no moral Compunction against these activities whatsoever. Uh-oh. That's a dark side, I would think. I mean, and this puts him in a different light today. In a different light today, but different, but not that dissimilar to Belgian King Leopold, that monster, and who who committed and had committed on his behalf all those. Unspeakable outrageous atrocities in the Congo during the rubber trade. But that but that must remain a horror story to be told on a different day. Let's move on. Still, before, before we leave Drake, it's you know it's one thing to have been a German, it's another thing entirely to have to say joined the Nazi Party, right? And and so Drake was a full-fledged, committed slave trader. Hmm. So as as we prepare to delve into the War of Jenkins' Year, the, the heart of which fighting, as I mentioned, be- occurred between 1739 and 1742, a three-year period, there is, of course, a backstory. So let me introduce only the briefest synopsis so that we can set the stage for... of further discussion. Spain and England had been at each other's throats for a century and a half. That's a long time. In 1588, Spain had been, um, under King Philip, they finally had had enough of England's piratical behavior and concluded that England's quest to gain footholds in the new world made it a serious and dangerous worldwide competitor and threat to Spain, not only in trade, but in possessions. And these economic and political conflicts, combined with the conflict that existed between a Catholic Spain and a Protestant England, made all-out war between the two nations inevitable. It just had to take place. And Spain at that moment appeared to have the strongest, most powerful naval force in the world. And it was deemed time that that be put to work to eliminate the British threat that then existed. Enough was enough. King Philip of Spain was sick and tired of a piratical England, a country that honored its pirates. So he ordered, assembled an armada of 141 ships with roughly 13,000 sailors supported by 19,000 soldiers that made up the feared, ferocious Spanish Armada. And on, on May um, 28th, 1588, King Philip, Gave the Spanish fleet commanders his marching orders. Well, let, they're not going to be marching anywhere at first. Let's just call them. He gave them military go orders, and the fearsome Spanish Armada sailed from Lisbon, bound for a showdown with British naval forces aligned to confront the Armada. And this battle would take place in the English Channel. And the objective of Spain was was first to crush the British fleet in the Channel and then invade the territory of England. It would be the first land invasion of England in more than 500 years. Not since William the Conqueror, invaded England in 1066, defeating the English at the famous Battle of Hastings, had an enemy force threatened England with a land invasion. By the way, William the Conqueror's men on horseback had been aided in the Battle of Hastings, fighting against their enemy by relying upon the one tool that their enemy did not possess. The stirrup, which allowed them pen- uh, to maneuver on horseback s- in a superior manner than the troops engaged against them. So let so let's let us stop here as Spain has decided the time has come to invade English England and the Spanish Armada has just left Lisbon on its way to the English Channel where the British Royal Navy has been assembled to meet them. And when we return, we will discuss more of the preliminaries leading up to the War of Jenkins' Year. Hey, thanks for listening. We'll see you later. Bye-bye.
0: Tell her I've changed, become a new man I promise I will and I know that I can When did the skies change, when did they turn black? How am I ever gonna get myself back? The sea's now boiling and I'm getting cold I've lost my sails, got to find a way home Alone in my boat I think of my wife I'm lost in a drift on the high seas of life Years from tomorrow, days from the land Nothing can save me unless fate lends a hand storm it is worse than life, no control the wind. I look to the stars, there's none I can see I'm afraid fate, she has answered me Only moments my story will end There was a story I wanted to send Oh, how I dream for the calm of the sea A beautiful face smiling back at me the sea is boiling and I'm getting cold I've lost my sails, got to find a way home When did the skies change, when did they turn back? How am I ever gonna get myself back? Alone in my boat, I think of my wife I'm lost in a drift on the high seas of life when did the skies change, when did they turn back? How am I ever gonna get myself back? Alone in my boat, I think of my wife I'm lost in the drift on the high seas